Today we're going to continue in When God Turns Your World Upside Down, be the last one on that topic. Uh, we're going to look in Matthew chapter 2. So let's open in prayer as we open the word. Lord, we just thank you for this day, this opportunity to worship you, lift you up in your presence. Lord, we ask that you will guide and lead as we look at your word. You will show us what you would want us to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 2, chapter 2, verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, from thus it is written by the prophets, that you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of you shall come a governor, and he shall rule my people." Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, he inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. And when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they had saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, the mother, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him with gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should return, not return to Herod, they departed into their country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and you, and be there till I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and departed to, into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. So we're going to look at this. The one, we're going to look at uh, a group of people in this story that have their life turned upside down. The first one were the wise men. All right? And you go, well, how were the wise men's lives turned upside down? Well, they had to visit Jesus, and they were gone for quite a while. It would have taken two to four weeks to get from where they started to where Jesus was, and then they had to go back home. So they were gone for a while and had their lives turned upside down. And the last part of that, we're going to look at Mary and Joseph again had their life turned upside down. But we're going to look at some of these things. It says, now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the Great, there came wise men from the east into Jerusalem to Jerusalem. We don't know how many wise men is. We sing these nice little songs, We Three Kings of Orient are, and they've named them their tradition, wise men, uh, three wise men, but we do not know how many they are, there were. All we know is that they were from the east. We believe that it was probably from the Persian or Babylonian area, but east could have been all the way out to India or even China, but most people believe it was from the Babylonian area. That's where those magi were from. Um, in, in most cases, 
And why do we think this? Well, because they would have had access to the Jewish scriptures because Daniel, in Daniel 29, was put over the wise men or the magi of Babylon when he interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream. So they had education in God's word. They would have heard about the king coming. They would have heard about all of this coming. And they would have been looking for a sign that this king had been born. And we know that this was something that was gone. We don't know for sure that they were from Babylon or Persia, but it is. If it was from there, then they only had about a three-week journey <laughs> across the desert. And it wouldn't have just been them. There would have been a whole entourage. And it says, when they got to Jerusalem, they said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? All right. Now, Herod, you've got to remember, Herod is the king over Israel at this point in time, but he is not an Israelite king. He was appointed into that position by Rome. He is a little nervous. The Jews are not, don't like him very much. He's a very mean man. He's obnoxious. He's killed most of his sons because he didn't want anybody to challenge him for the throne. And so he, if he doesn't like you, he kills you. And that's what it says. Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with them because when Herod wasn't happy... Nobody was happy because they didn't know what was going to happen because he might just start striking heads. He might cause all kinds of problems. And here we have an entourage. And we, you want to picture this. This wasn't just a group of wise men coming into the, into the city. They're, they're seeking a king to start with. These guys would have traveled with a guard and servants. And an entire caravan would have been theirs. You know, uh, so you want to picture this. This wasn't just a bunch of a couple of guys walking in saying, "Hey, we're looking for a, the king." This was like he was being invaded. You know, not with an army, but he's a whole group of people. He can't just silence these guys, and because these guys are have people with them. Now he's strong enough; he could have, but you know, it's going to trouble him. They're looking for a king. He's the king. He knows the Jews are looking for a Messiah. And now he's got these guys, strangers coming into town, <laughs> bugging him <laughs> about where the king is. I hadn't really thought about it, but Herod's life is being turned upside down. All right? He, he's always been worried about losing his kingship, and now they're telling him there's a king out there. And this is God's king. This is the king that the Jews have been waiting for. Now, the timing on this is something that's important because every one of our nativity scenes have our little king showing up at the stable. Well, we know that when Jesus was born, the shepherds came and visited him that night, and the angels had told him, this day this is the king born. Now, that tells us that Jesus was born sometime after sunset because of the way Jews tell, us, tell time because their day starts at sunset. So he was born sometime between sunset and the time that the angels appeared to Jesus, uh, the shepherds. They visited him that night. I do not believe that the, the wise men showed up the same day to show up. Because you've got to think about this. What did we tell, read here is that Herod heard them asking this. They're asking all people in, in all over Jerusalem, where's the king? Where's the king? And we don't know what it's like, but when a king, when a future king is born in a country with a monarchy, it is a big deal. They celebrate the birth of the crown the next crown prince. So these guys went to where the king should be born. 
Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, they, and that's where their king is ruling. They went to where they expected the king to be born. Herod panics when he hears this. He calls, if you remember on the verse, he said he called all the scribes and priests and teachers, and, the, you know, and he got them all together and demanded of them, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? And they told him Bethlehem. Now we've talked about this. Bethlehem's only about seven, ten miles outside of Jerusalem, depending on how you're going to walk there. But it's, a, it's not a short, you know, you didn't just drive around the corner like you could today. You know, we think about, you know, we, we think about this, uh, uh, you know, I've got to go three miles across town to get something, and we just run over there, and we might even do it three or four times in a day. In those days, it was a big deal to go three, you know, go even a mile, you know. How many times you were going to walk across chloride from end to end in a day? You know, some people do it a lot, and it's only one mile. So it's a seven-mile trip that these guys are getting ready to make when they leave. And Herod has gathered them together. And this is something that we think, you know, Herod is, after he gets his answer, he grabs them. He says he talked privately with the kings and said, well, when you find him, go Go, you know, return and let me know where he is because I want to go worship him. Now, anybody who knew Herod knew that that was not a true statement. <laughs> These wise men didn't know Herod. You know, and who knows whether he had something in his voice that made him wonder or not. But you know, they were very wise. They probably picked up on the fact that he didn't want to worship him, but the angel's going to confirm it. And Herod tells him, go worship him. Go and find him and let me know. But I want us to look at this. It says in verse 9, And when they had heard from the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they had seen, saw in the east, went before them, and it came and stood over the place where the young child was. Now we oftentimes look at this, and we hear all kinds of stories. There are people that say this was a... This star was a conglomeration of planets, and it uh, was a perfect grouping on it. I don't know how many of you have ever tried to follow stars, <laughs> but you know they don't lead anywhere unless you're trying to follow the North Star, and you can head toward the North, and the North Star stays where it is. All of the stars rotate and move and everything. And how would you find anything directly by the stars? Because the stars don't guide. So people go, okay, it was a comet. Well, you got another problem with comets because comets move very quickly through the sky. They don't stay stationary over a house. This was a miraculous sign from God. I heard one of the pastors today say that he believes it was the Shekinah glory of God, which means the, the bright, shining glory of God that fell upon the temple of the tabernacle and that God used to guide the children of Israel through the desert on the 40 years of wilderness walking. It's probably the best answer I've ever heard. <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> that God just said, here I am. <laughs> Come and find me if you want to. What it was, we don't know. We do know that it guided them to the house. And note that there's two words in here. It says young child and house. All right. When the uh, wise men got there, they did not go to the stable. All right. They went to the dwelling place where Mary and Joseph were staying at. And young child means any child that's under the age of school age. 
So it could be an infant. It could be up to five years old. I don't believe that he was five years old when he went, you know, by the time they got there. But most people believe that he was somewhere around a toddler to maybe about two years old. And we think two years old because when Herod gets upset about the wise men not coming back to tell him, he kills all the children of Bethlehem that are under two years old. So it probably was that he was told by the wise men, we saw this year, the star two years ago or a year and a half, and he added, a, added some time to it just in case. But, so we don't know how old Jesus was. We know that he's under, under school age, which in the, in the ancient Jews, that was six years old, just like us for some reason. Uh, so he was under six, definitely. And they're still living in Bethlehem. Why are they still living in Bethlehem? Probably because it's a lot easier to, tr to just stay in Bethlehem with a small child than to try to go back to Nazareth. And Bethlehem is his family's home, so he would have had family helping him with uh, a place to stay and all of this. And he's a carpenter, you know, he's a carpenter or literally a construction man. Uh, he knows how to work in stone and carpentry and all these things. So he could have built a place. He could have set up, okay, well, Mary, you know, we've got this young child. It's, let's not take another... <laughs> two-week trip back home, back to Nazareth, we'll just, we didn't have anything in Nazareth, we'll just stay here. And so they, we have this indication that they were staying there. Their life has been turned upside down by Rome because Rome sent them there. And all of a sudden, can you imagine what it would be like? You're sitting at home, daily life, and here comes a royal procession to your house. <laughs> Bethlehem didn't get a whole lot of royal processions. <laughs> All right. It would be like the president driving through chloride. <laughs> it would have everybody's attention, like, what is this caravan coming up the road and stopping at somebody's house? And they get there, and they're to find a king. And you can imagine the first person they're talking to, well, we're looking for the newborn king. Well, you're definitely in the wrong place. Go back to Jerusalem. <laughs> No, we were told that he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Well, no, you know, and then they would tell him where the newborn child was. It wouldn't have taken long to find the newborn child because it's only a very small town. There couldn't have been that many newly born children. But they would have been sent around to different town, uh, houses, and finally they find Jesus. They find Jesus. And it says, these men bowed down before him. These were the rulers. The only one they bowed down before was kings. Everybody bowed down to them <laughs> when they spoke. They were, they were the advisors. Many people believe that they were the kingmakers. They actually would go and say, this is the next king, the king of this town. You, know, you want to raise this son because he's showing the right, <laughs> the right temperaments. They came and bowed down before him and gave him gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we don't know how much of each one they was given. They were honoring the king of the universe, so I imagine that these were not small gifts. Yeah, I can't prove it because it doesn't tell us, but you know, they came to honor the king of kings. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't, here's a gold coin, <laughs> here's a sprig of, of, um, of uh, frankincense, and here's a little, little tiny vial of uh, myrrh. These gifts were going to be enough, as most people believe, that they were able to allow them to live in Egypt with no, no problem. 
pay for a decent caravan this time. Maybe even maybe even be able to go on a wagon or something on this caravan rather than the walk that was previously done. These were not going to be cheap gifts. They came and they honored the king of the universe. Imagine if you were Mary. You know, Joseph's probably out in the out in the work or even at the work site doing doing his work, and all of a sudden, Mary's got this large company at the door. Large company at the door, and these very well-dressed men are bowing before her child and presenting gifts. Giving the story of having followed the star from the east to find the king. These guys' lives was changed upside down and they decided to be obedient to follow and seek the king. You know, and as we're talking about this whole idea of our lives being turned upside down, every time God comes into our life, we have a choice. Am I going to listen to God and do what he asked me to do, even if it turns my life upside down? And seems to be the craziest thing I could ever possibly think of doing? Or do I just say, God, I'm comfortable where I'm at, and I'm just going to stay where I'm at? Okay. We've looked at different people. Joseph could have said, ah, I don't, Angel, I'm not going through this. This, this reputation I'm going to have taking Mary as my wife when she's pregnant before we're together. I'm, I'm history. I'm gone. I'm not going to do this. Mary didn't have much choice. She was pregnant. <laughs> you know, she didn't have much choice when God said, you, you're going to be with child. The shepherds could have said, uh, well, you know, God, we've got these sheep to take care of. We can't leave them by themselves, so we're not going to go look for this king. The wise men could have said, you know, hey, pfft, we're happy where we are. We've got our nice, we've got our books to study. We've got our stars to study. We, you know, we've got all kinds of people to advise here. We're not going to take and, and be gone for a month and a half, two months to go, go find this king. We have the same type of thing we have to look at. When God says do something, most of the time it's something that's going to be shaking up our life a little bit. I want you to speak to this person. God, I'm afraid to speak to that person. They may think I'm crazy. <laughs> well, I want you to do that. God says, I want you to move to this place. God, I really like the home that I'm living in. I don't want to move. And God says, well, you've got your choice. God comes in and he really shakes up our life sometimes. Sometimes they're just minor shakeups. Go talk to somebody. Go do something. Change your job. <laughs> move. <laughs> You know, who knows what it is, but he's kind of come into our life and say, I want control of your life. We have an option at that point in time to say, God, I'm going to give you control of my life. Or God, I'm just happy where I'm at. I've got my family. I've got my home. I've got my job. Everything is going good. I will tell you, don't ever tell God that. If he's telling you to go do something, don't tell him you're happy with where you're at because he will make sure... That everything that you think is happiness and, and good, he'll start stripping it away. He is going to get his way. If he tells you to do something, he's going to get his way. So we have this process. They come. They worship the king. And I've sometimes been thinking, you know, what must that have been like to Mary? You know, these very important, probably well-dressed men showing up at her house and saying, we're here to worship the king. And by the way, here's a whole bunch of gifts. 
And as I said, I don't believe they were small gifts. I believe they were very ornate gifts that were brought to him. Because they were coming to honor the king. Their warn did not go back and leave, not go back and see Herod, so they go back another way. And it says, that night, Joseph was told, go to Egypt. Go to Egypt. Now, so Mary and Joseph's life is going to be turned upside down again. They were just getting it back under control. They had found themselves a little house to sit in. He found probably got himself a couple of clients. And they're going to be sent away. Now, we haven't talked much about this, but Jesus was born sometime between 5 and 3 B.C., which is kind of interesting because B.C. is supposed to be before Christ, but there was a calculation error that meant that he was born before, before B.C. started. <laughs> All right. So he was born before, before we marked the beginning of, of our uh, time. Herod is going to live until about 9 or 10 A.D., so they are gone for at least, depending on when, he was, when they came to see him, four to ten years they go to Egypt. We know that he's going to be back before he's 12 years old because they're making trips to Jerusalem. And it indicates that wasn't their first trip. So we do know that they had to be back before that. So probably he was gone until about 4 or 5 A.D. that he was in Egypt. We don't know how long, we don't know what he was doing, but he says, I've called my son out of Egypt. Which is exactly what happened. The, the symbol of that was e the Israelites being called out of Egypt, from Egypt, called out of Egypt to the promised land. <laughs> and Jesus was the one that was also called out of Egypt as well. And it says that he was the fulfillment of that prophecy, which is in Hosea. And so we see this protection of Jesus. God says, Herod's going to try to kill, kill the child. Take him away. And as soon as Joseph was told the child and his mother are going to be you know, in trouble, he got out that night. He didn't wait and say, okay, well, I'll wait till I hear that Herod's coming. He didn't say, I'm going to wait until it's convenient. He didn't say, God, I've got a couple projects I've got to finish before I can go do this. He left that night. I don't know if he left that right at that moment or if he just went out and he found a caravan leaving and, and arranged to get into it and left first thing in the morning, but he started the plans to get out immediately. And he went out in obedience. One of the things I really get impressed with Joseph, and we don't know a lot about Joseph. We know nothing about him after this, after this story. But he was obedient to what God called him to do. He stayed with Mary, even though it was going to ruin his reputation to stay with her. He kept her and protected her. He left with them to go to Egypt. You know, he did not sleep with her until after Jesus was born, we read in, the, in, in his story. He says, nope, I'm not going to have any chance of this. Becoming, people saying it was my child, it's, going, it's not going to happen. He was a very honorable, God-fearing man. And when God spoke, he obeyed. Mary seems to, you know, when we read about Mary, Mary gets all the credit, but she seems to be just along for the ride on most of this stuff. Mary, you're pregnant. You're going to have a baby. Oh, okay. Thank you, God. <laughs> you know, Joseph says, oh, the angel says we're moving. Okay, we're moving. <laughs> you know, okay, we're going, back to, we're going back to Israel. 
there's, you know, she almost seems like she's along for the ride for most of this. Not that she wasn't godly or anything, but, you know, she was chosen. And her submission is very apparent that she says, okay, whatever God says. But they do a job of raising Jesus up honorably. We do know that jo Joseph is alive at 12 years old because Mary says, your father and I have been worried about you. So we know he's still alive at that time. But outside these three references, we have no reference of Joseph at all. You know, as far as Jesus, you know, and all he gets is he's the obedient father. He's training. He gets to be the father of the son of God. The, literally, the earthly stepfather. <laughs> stepfather. Stepfather <laughs> of the son of God. And his obedience is so wonderful. Mary's obedience is wonderful. What would our life have been like if we had been there? I'm not sure where I would have been with it. You know, it would have been an interesting place to have been. God prepared the hearts of these two people to be ready to be turned upside down completely. Their lives were completely changed upside down because they were the parents, earthly parents of the Son of God. I can't imagine what that would be like. I would have hated to be Jesus' brother and brothers and sisters, especially with human tendencies. Well, Jesus never did this. Jesus always shared. Jesus was always good at doing this. You know, I could almost understand that his, his brothers and sisters probably hated him. <laughs> you know, he was a goody two-shoe, not, not because he was trying to impress anybody, but because he was perfect. You know, and so we look at this and say, what a way to look. But as I've been going over this, I really want us to look at what do we do? How do we react when God wants to turn our world upside down? Whatever that might be. And I know for this, for this room, uh, you know, it's mostly retired people. What if God said, I want you to go do something? I want you to leave where you're at and go out to be a missionary. I want you to leave this place and go work with me something else. For many people, that'd be a tough, tough thing to do. Because I hear it a lot from retired people. Well, I've done my job. <laughs> I'm done. Well, I hope God is not done with me until I step through the, through the gates of heaven. Until then, I want to be busy doing something for him. And if he wants to turn my world upside down, he turns my world upside down. Now, whether I'll feel like that when I'm 80 or 90 is another story, but at the moment, that's how I feel. But, you know, we need to be ready to say, if God tells us to do something, then we're going to say, yes, Lord, whatever it is you want me to do. Because you know, when you read the stories in the Bible, you want to look at some of the ages of these people when they start. Abraham, yes, he lives to be 137 years old, but he didn't get it started until he was 60. Didn't have his child till he was almost 100. The promised child... <laughs> Had to wait decades for the promise to happen. Job is already very old when, God, when Satan says, okay, let me really turn Job's life upside down, God. Let me take everything away from him. Let me take his, his children, his wealth, his health, and you'll see if he loves you. And he kept his integrity and, and kept following God. And then got his reward back. And poor Mrs. Job had to have seven more kids. <laughs> you know, of course, she was really nice. She told him, curse God and die. So she got, 
she got a consequence for that comment. <laughs> uh, you know, but we look at this. Noah, 500 years old before he's told to go build the boat. <laughs> you know, granted, he lived to be, you know, uh, you know, 600 and some years, 800 years old, but, you know, still, he lived most of his life before God said to go do something. Jesus is going to live to be 34 years old and doesn't start his ministry until he's 30 years old. We want to be careful when we say, God, I'm too old to do something because God's going to say, no, I'm, I'm going to be the one that empowers you. I'm the one that gives you strength. And the greatest news for us is when we think we can't do it, we're in the perfect place for God to come in and say, that's where I wanted you in the first place. I want to do it through you, so it's, when you can't do it, you're in the perfect place for God to step in. God, I just can't get over whatever. I can't get up past this sin. And God says, great, let me help you. God, I can't speak to that person. And God says, I will fill your mouth. Just as he did to Moses, he says, I will fill your mouth. I'm the one that created your lips. And when Moses continued, he says, fine, then I'll just give you your brother Aaron to speak for you, but you're, I'm going to speak to you, you speak to Aaron. God uses us when we are at our weakest point and we say, God, I cannot do this anymore. And God says, good. Right where I want you to be. <laughs> now, hopefully we discover it when we're younger. But if God has to wait till we're older, he'll say, fine, you're where I want you to be. Let me lift you up and, and serve. So as we end this whole idea of turning our life upside down, be ready. Be ready for God to say, I'm going to turn your life upside down and be ready to listen to him and respond. What will that be? I have no idea. I have no idea. I'm waiting for what he's going to do for me. He's going to turn my life upside down somehow and say, this is what you're going to do. Can it be something simple and easy? Possibly. Could it be something earth-shattering? Possibly. Mary and Joseph had a total turning of their life upside down. Herod's had his whole life turned upside down from this event. The kings, eh, they get inconvenient. They get inconvenienced for a couple months. They go back to their, go back to their books and their towers and their advising. The shepherds, they had one night. <laughs> go worship the king. Go back to take care of the sheep. How long and how hard will this turning your life upside down? I don't know. Be ready. Be watchful. And be, and be able to pray to God, God, I'm ready for you to do. And be ready to respond. Will it be a big one? Who knows? Will it be something small? Who knows? But if God's leading it, it'll be, it'll be great in the kingdom of heaven. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come and worship you. We ask you to be with us. Lord, for anybody that doesn't know you, we ask that today will be the day that they turn their life over to you, that they will say, God, I am a sinner. I deserve punishment. I accept Jesus Christ's gift. Come into my life and live in me. And for Lord, for those of us that know you, that we will just say, Lord, here am I. Send me to whatever that sending might be, Lord, that we will be willing to respond and go forward in that sending. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.